Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we open our hearts to you, O God, asking your Holy Spirit to move in this place. And we ask, Father, that uh, as our prayer focus is about healing today, we pray for our friends, our associates, our co-workers who are going through some health issues, Father, even health issues on healthy relationships, Father, I pray that you would just continue to move in our lives and that, Lord, as the centurion said, when he asked you to heal his child, he said, Lord, just say the word and we will be healed. Thank you, Lord, for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the children, uh, please come over here on this side so they can move over to the children's building. I'd like to begin today's sermon by playing a little game to help us see the value of logic in arriving at conclusions that make sense to us. And logic, as you know, is a method of reasoning that convinces or persuades us toward an acceptable uh, or a conclusion that makes sense to us. For example, all spiders have eight legs. The black widow is a type of the spider, of a spider. Conclusion, the black widow has eight legs. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's begin. Are you ready? So just like the example, I will give out two premises and you guys make the conclusion, okay? We're going to have some fun before we get serious, all right? All right, first premise. Pastor Julio loves all ice cream flavors except blueberry. First premise. Second premise. Vanilla is an ice cream flavor. Conclusion? Pastor Julio loves vanilla ice cream. All right. All right, for this second one, I need more audience participation, okay? I would like for you to repeat after me as I say the premises, okay? All right, first premise. All members of Calvary Baptist Church, McAllen, are passionate about disciple-making. Good. All right. I, say your name, I... Okay, I'm a member of Calvary Baptist Church. Conclusion? I am passionate about disciple making. All right, I can end the sermon here, you know. <laughs> if everyone is passionate about disciple making. But that makes logical sense, right? Now, for this last one, we will defer or put off making a conclusion to a later time as I end the sermon, okay? 
and you're, gonna, you're not going to repeat it after me this time. It's just going to be me. All right, first premise. Every believer is given a spiritual gift. Every believer is given a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts, second premise, are for the common good of the body of Christ, the church. Spiritual gifts are for the common good of the body of Christ, the church. We are in a sermon series called We Are Open, and for the past couple of Sundays, we've talked about being people of grace with open hearts and loving our brethren with open arms. Today, I'll be talking about, guess what? Spiritual gifts. And as we continue with this reopening, so to speak, I want to encourage you to be active participants in advancing God's kingdom through Calvary. I entitled today's sermon, Open Gifts, and I would like to challenge you as a believer not only to find out what your spiritual gift is, in case you still do not know, but more importantly, use it in order to bring fulfillment to the calling that God has for you. I want us to understand that unless we utilize that gift which the Holy Spirit has given us, we will never experience a level of spiritual vitality and fulfillment in life that goes with the purpose and calling as believers. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, our main verse reads, and also 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. 11, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So the apostle Peter was talking about spiritual gifts when he wrote these verses. Well, it is noteworthy that when he wrote this letter to the church, it was in the context of this is the way God's people are to spend the time of waiting for Christ's return. Now, if we apply logical reasoning using that passage and its context today, this is how it may go. While waiting for Christ's return, every believer should use their spiritual gifts to serve others. Verse 10. Second premise, Christ has not returned. Right? Logical conclusion, we should continue to use our spiritual gifts to serve others until Christ returns. Does that make sense? I'm not concluding the sermon yet. As I talked about spiritual gifts today, I would like to share with you three basic truths I've discovered about spiritual gifts. And I hope that these simple truths will somehow compel you to use every spiritual gift or every spiritual gifts you have been endowed with for God's glory. I'm addressing this to all believers. First, you were given a spiritual gift. The indwelling of God's Holy Spirit began at the time we received and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We often use the term uh, spiritual rebirth or being born again to describe that moment. We also know from that point onwards, the Spirit of God starts to actively work in us and through us in our lives. 
Scripture is clear in telling us that every believer is given at least one spiritual gift as determined by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 7 to 11 reads, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now the passage clearly attests to two things. Each believer is given at least one gift. We see that in verse 7. To each one, not to a select few, right? And then the second one is that the Holy Spirit determines the kind of gift that is given. Verse 11. He distributes them to each one, again, just as he determines. Now, before I continue talking more about spiritual gifts, I'd like to share this working definition with you that I chose from Christian author, Dr. Gene Wilkes. He defines spiritual gift as, a spiritual gift is an expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, which empowers them to serve the body of Christ, the church. Other than the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul also talks about different kinds of spiritual gifts. And we see that in the book of Romans chapter 12. We also see that in his letter to, first letter to the Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Ephesians chapter 4. Now here's a quick list of the gifts he wrote about. We have prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, encouraging, giving, leadership, acts of mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, discerning spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, speaking and acts of service. Were you able to identify your spiritual gifts or gift in one of those that I have mentioned? Some believers don't know their spiritual gift. They may be asking believers, what do you think is my spiritual gift? Well, let me help you answer that question in connection with the definition that I just shared. In your career, your job, or your calling, some of you were called to be doctors, some lawyers, some teachers, some in the military, some singers, some writers, administrators, technicians, analysts, construction workers, Zumba instructors, whatever else you've been called, you may not be aware, but whatever job or calling you have to earn a living can and will translate into a spiritual gift or ministry when you use it to serve the body of Christ, the church. You may recall acts of service is a gift I mentioned in the list a while ago. In fact, there's only one gift that is common in the list of Paul and Peter, 
and that is service. Those with a gift of service or helps recognize the practical needs in the body and joyfully give assistance to meeting those needs. Your act of service to the church stemming from your job or career abilities or talent is in fact a spiritual gift or becomes a spiritual gift when it is used to edify the body of believers. Your service becomes a ministry because it works for the common good of the members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I've had the privilege of working with three of our uh, committees here for the past six years. And I want you to know that members of these committees are such a blessing to Calvary in sharing their wisdom, their expertise, and their know-how from the different careers or callings or jobs they come from. Their collective decision has always been for the common good of the church. And I've always observed that every time they make decisions, their goal is always for the good of the church. Every committee member, whether they know or not, is in fact exercising his or, spiritual, his or her spiritual gift. You don't have to be a committee member to use your gift. Any member who is serving in any capacity for the common good of Calvary is exercising his or her spiritual gift. Now you may ask, Pastor, how can I serve when I don't know my spiritual gift? Well, I've got good news for you. If you don't know your spiritual gifting, uh, uh, we've printed a good number of spiritual gift survey handouts for you to take home, you can find them as you exit in the, in the stands or in the foyer. And uh, also for those of you watching at home, you can download the same spiritual gift survey and take advantage of discovering what your spiritual gift is if you still don't know it. It more or less gives you an idea what the Holy Spirit has given you as a gift. So please check out on those. And then after you discover your spiritual gift, feel free to get in touch with us and let us know how you want to serve. Every believer has a spiritual gift. Some believers don't know what their gift is. Some believers know what their gift is, but don't use their gifts. The good news, there's always an opportunity open for any member who wants to use their spiritual gift. Second point. Each gift is equally valuable. Whenever we hear the word gift, the first thing that comes to mind is that it is something of value. It is valuable. When it comes to tangible gifts, we often determine its value by its price or its monetary value, as what we call it, or its usefulness, practical value. One can say a gold ring has monetary value equivalent for the price you can sell it for. On the other hand, a pen has practical value when we use it to write checks, to write uh, essays, to write poems, and to write letters. Spiritual gifts, although intangible, likewise have value. 
great value. Since the Holy Spirit is the source of the gift, its intrinsic or true value is connected to the purpose for which God has called you. There's a twofold benefit for whoever these gifts, or for whenever rather, these gifts are utilized. First, for the believer, it brings about a sense of joy and fulfillment in their lives because the purpose is realized every time they use their spiritual gift. On the other hand, it becomes valuable to the body of believers whenever they reap the benefits brought about by the gifts, every member of the body contributes for the common good. For example, an ABF teacher finds fulfillment in teaching and leading his or her ABF. While at the same time, members of the ABF are benefited when they learn, when they enjoy, and when they apply the teachings or wisdom that is imparted during their sessions. Now, there's this notion that some gifts are more valuable than others. Well, that may be true for material gifts, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, every gift is equally valuable. Every member of the body of Christ is an essential part of the total unit. This means you are not to belittle or feel inferior with whatever gift you have whenever you put them into use. When the Apostle Paul wrote about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gave emphasis to gifts being equally valuable when he talked about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 to 14 and 21 to 26 reads, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, verse 21, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts who lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Your value is realized as an active part of the body of Christ when you use the spiritual gift you have been given, regardless of how visible or seemingly invisible it is. Because you are part of the body, you contribute something significant to the body of Christ that only your unique giftedness can. So, whatever it is you're doing for the body, whether you're volunteering to clean in the kitchen, helping distribute food, serving as a greeter or an usher, serving as a deacon, being part of the worship team, teaching, helping childcare, giving generously, leading, encouraging others, sharing your field of expertise, or doing tasks that seem to be mundane 
or invisible in the eyes of many, you are equally as valuable as the other members or member who is exercising a different gift as you are. It means you should always think that your gifting brings a significant contribution or value to the body of Christ. It also means you should stop comparing ourselves with others who have different giftings because each one of us is uniquely contributing what is equally valuable for the body of Christ. Instead of comparing, I admonish you to enjoy using your gift. You will surely enjoy it because your spiritual DNA has been wired by the Holy Spirit for that gift that you have. I want to share with you a story about a member of our church who has been very generous with his spiritual gift. It was sometime around 2018, uh, we, before we renovated our student center, we had this 40 days of prayer here in the parlor every six o'clock in the morning. And this was attended by pastors, deacons, and some members of our church. Now, I recall one morning, 6 a.m., as we were praying, the earth suddenly shook and we heard a noise like a machine gun firing shots. Da, 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 da. So we went out and saw that it was Ron Corbett holding the jackhammer, removing the tiles in the foyer section of our student center entrance. And so he could have hired somebody to do that at a later time, but he would rather use his gift tirelessly to save the church on funds. Ron, as many of you know, is a retired construction company owner, and most of us are aware that he saved our church hundreds and thousands of dollars when he volunteered to become our project manager when we renovated our student center. You know, Ron being retired could afford to sit back and relax. But one thing I have noticed about him is that he really enjoys and finds fulfillment in doing this for Calvary. I must say that I could have lost half of my hair by now if not for Ron helping me with my building and grounds responsibilities. Now I think he's the one with lesser hair. And uh, thank you, Ron. He was in the first service. So doing things we love to do brings us a sense of fulfillment because your spiritual gift is something God has chosen for you to have an abundant life in Christ. Be assured that it will bring you an enormous amount of fulfillment every time you use it. You were given a valuable gift. Your gift is equally valuable as the other gifts when used for the common good of the body. Third and final point, you should use your spiritual gift. You should use your spiritual gift. Let me begin with this story. There's a newlywed couple who has been coming to our 11 a.m. service, this service for a good number of Sundays now. And I spoke with them and I found out they are believers who are praying about joining Calvary. So I've told them about Calvary, I showed them around campus, I told them about our purpose statement, uh, I told them about our Baptist heritage, and so on and so forth. 
Now, during my conversations with this couple, one thing they told me struck me the most. They said, Pastor, we are actually looking for a church where we can serve. Ding, ding, ding. That was music to my ears. And I'm sure you know what my immediate response was, right? You've come to the right place. You've come to the right place. So they will be out of town for the next couple of Sundays. But one thing is for sure. I'm praying that this couple will decide to join Calvary and use their spiritual gifts for the common good of our church. Let me go back to our main verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says there, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I don't know if you noticed, but should in there is all caps. Now, I checked the thesaurus and found that the word is synonymous or closely associated with the word must, must. I think the word must sounds more forceful or compelling instead of the word should. So when we say we must do such and such, there's this implication that if we don't do it, there's an inevitable consequence that may follow. In fact, I felt that the word must would have been better because of the compelling notion that it carries. However, I don't intend to revise God's word. So what I did was to do a little bit of word study on should and must to find out the difference why should, should, the word should, was used in this verse. And here's what I found. The term should indicates the responsibilities and duties of a person. The term must is commonly used to express any unavoidable requirement or obligation. Should is used as a probability, an obligation, an advice, a recommendation, conditional, and exceptional mood. Should is used to mean a recommendation only. Must, on the other hand, is used to indicate necessity of execution. You realize the degree of emphasis in each of those words when you compare the sentences, it should be done versus it must be done. Now, for those of you who may be inclined to think legalistically, the word must sounds more appealing. I realize, however, that God's word in the New Testament continues to be consistent in portraying grace in its choice of words when admonishing the believers. To paraphrase what Peter wrote in verse 10, he said, each one of you is recommended to use whatever gift you have received. For a while, I struggled with this tension. If spiritual gifts are beneficial and valuable for the church, then why not make it an imperative mandate or a must for believers to use? It's only a recommendation. This led me to ask the nagging question, what can compel every believer to use his or her spiritual gift for the common good of the body of Christ. 
the church? What can compel? You know, as I pondered on the question, I came up with this answer. Nothing. Nothing can really compel any believer to exercise or utilize his gift because God honors our free will. You may still choose to use or not to, choose or not to use your spiritual gift as you please. Will it have consequences? Of course it will. Regardless of what you choose to do, it will either have beneficial or non-beneficial consequences for you and the church. The believer may gain or miss out on something. However, it doesn't end there. There's more to discover here, actually. I realized that nothing could be more compelling than God's love for us and our love for God. The answer to my question takes me back to the great commandment. Now, what do I mean by that? Am I starting to sound legalistic when I said the great commandment, which is to love God, to love your neighbor, love God above all else? Here is my thesis. Here is my assertion. When we are able to grasp the magnitude of God's love for us, and we respond freely with our choice to love him back and to love others, no imperative mandate will be necessary to compel us to exercise our gifts for the common good of the church. The utilization of your spiritual gifts or your service to the body becomes an outflow or manifestation of your love for God. When that happens, you will enjoy and find fulfillment in using your gifts. This is part of the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised everyone who believes in him. In fact, you will be able to tell the difference when you're serving out of love or any other motive other than love. Whenever it is done in humility and you experience joy, delight, and fulfillment in serving or using your gift, it is out of love. Otherwise, if it is legalistic obedience, it will eventually be burdensome to you and you won't even find fulfillment in doing it. Any service out of guilt and manipulation comes short of God's design for a relationship with him and our personal fulfillment. Peter gets it. No wonder he used the word or he wrote the word should instead of must. As I conclude, I would like to get back at the logical premises we put off for conclusion earlier. I'm sure some, if not most of you, already know or have an idea how I'm going to conclude this. But I would like to use this gift box as a tangible illustration to drive home my conclusion. First premise, I said, every believer is given a spiritual gift. This unopened box contains your spiritual gift. What's inside is valuable. Second premise, spiritual gifts are meant for the common good of the body of Christ. 
the value of this gift will never be realized until what's inside is put into use. So, what do you think is my logical conclusion? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Open the gift box and start fulfilling the purpose for which God has called you. Now, when you do that, not only are you benefiting yourself and the church, you are giving glory and honor to the giver of the gift, God the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Amen? Let us pray. I'm not sure how the Spirit of God spoke to you today through His Word, but if you are a believer and you're unsure on how to serve the body, ask God now to reveal to you where you can serve with your spiritual gift. If you listen today and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, the most precious gift one could ever have in life awaits your acceptance and God is offering it to you. It is his gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. You can accept this gift by opening your heart to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and begin a relationship with God. Prayer Pray this prayer with me if that is the desire of your heart right now. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins and that he rose again to conquer sin and death for me. I now accept and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I'm asking him to take over my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you are watching and if you're here, if you've prayed that prayer with me, please let us know so we can guide you towards the next steps of your spiritual journey.